right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. In the last 24 hours, I've gotten three messages from three different people. Uh, Some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. But two of them have told me with 100% certainty that Ochai Baji is not coming back to Kansas. He is staying in the NBA draft. And I thought, okay, well, I mean, I guess it makes sense. You know, with the news yesterday of Jalen Coleman lands, you got to find that scholarship somewhere. Ochai is probably the, the best bet for that. The third message was from somebody that told me with 100% certainty, Ochai is returning to Kansas. He is not keeping his name in the NBA draft. Reminder that the NBA draft process hasn't begun. You know why? Because they just freaking started the playoffs this week. So teams aren't doing interviews. They're not doing workouts. The NBA combine hasn't happened yet. But somehow, three people have levels of certainty that either he will or he won't be back in a Kansas uniform, which is actually sort of refreshing that I got so much conflicting information. All it told me was that Nobody, and I mean nobody, has a clue what Ochai is going to do. I'm not even convinced that Ochai knows what he's going to do. For the reasons I just mentioned, when you declare for the NBA draft, generally you do it so you can go and get feedback and find out you know, what NBA teams are saying about you. He hasn't done that yet. I don't think Jalen Wilson knows what he's going to do yet. I don't think Remy Martin knows what he wants to do. You know what they all want? They all want to go and get good feedback and then keep their names in the draft and then go make millions of dollars. That's what they want. But you don't always get that. I think they're all taking this seriously and, you know, hope that the best works out. But I don't, I'm not convinced that they know what they're doing. I'm not convinced that Bill Self knows either. What I know Bill Self isn't going to do is just sit around till July 7th and then possibly have two guys tell him, yeah, we're not coming back. We're going to keep our names in the draft. And then he has to just sit on these two scholarships with nobody to give them to. He's not sitting around twiddling his thumbs. I honestly, I think he gave that scholarship to Jalen Coleman Lance and said, I'll figure it out later. I'm serious. The future bill problem. But like, would that really surprise you if he just said, let's just make this team as talented as we possibly can now and see how the chips fall in July. And if we're over the limit, then you know, we'll make some adjustments. And at that point, you probably wouldn't have to. At that point, guys are going to make the decisions for you. There'll be guys in the roster, whether it be, uh, I don't know, a Sidney Curry or uh, Dewan Harris. I don't know. I'm just throwing names out there. But that that would look at it and say, well, I'm not going to play here, so I'm gone. I don't think Bill Self's going to have to kick anybody off the team. What if, though, man? Wouldn't that be a bleak outlook on how roster construction happens now in the day of the transfer portal. 
Bill Self just walks in, unannounced. He shows up to these guys' dorms. Hey, you got a quick? Hey, Sydney, you got a quick second? And he just pulls a scholarship out of his pocket and said, "Hey, man." And he's, "Sorry, we had to do this, but uh, we just don't have room for you anymore. We're gonna have to, uh, we're gonna have to revoke this scholarship. So, <laughs> pack your bags. You gotta have your dorm room cleared, <laughs> cleared out tonight." I envision it as a scenario where, like. Uh, for whatever reason, the scholarship is just uh, this piece of paper, and like that yeah. is beholden to yeah, the and it's the only one. And he just like has it. And he's like, "Hey, Sydney, do you do you have your scholarship paper? I just need to double check it." And he, he gets, Sydney like pulls it, or whoever. I don't know why we're saying Sydney Curry, but whoever pulls it out and like gives it to Bill Self, and he like, "Oh no, it accidentally ripped." He rips it in half. Oh, he pulls no. out like a lighter and like lights it on fire. Oh no! Look what if what he just happened. ate it? What if he just ate it? Yeah. Right. I used to think that's how social security cards worked. <laughs> because I if it's gone you're, you're because I kept it when I was a kid I kept it in a bank and because it was under lock and key I was like man that must be important like if I lose that your identity is just gone nobody can ever verify who you are where you're from what your name is uh, turns out that's not how it works and I'm pretty sure that's not how athletic scholarships work either. You just have to keep it in a bank vault and hope that nobody touches it or hope that you know, there's like a flood. By the way, there might be a flood going on. I think you mentioned Noah's Ark yesterday. Did you start this? I didn't start the weather, oh. if that's what you're asking. I did not start the weather. But, uh, I mean, it's, again, go open your weather app. It says rain, thunderstorms every single day. Everything. I'm pretty sure we're in a flash flood. Watch. Do we live in Seattle now? This is what it's like. It is depressing, man. You know that Seattle has the highest suicide rates in the country because of weather like this. So, you know, kind of hope this doesn't persist persist for too much longer. I got a really weird feeling this morning thinking about the Kansas team for next year. In it, on one hand. It feels like it's championship or bust. In one hand, it feels like this is going to be one of the top two or three teams in the country entering the season. You've got a legit All-American candidate at point guard in Remy Martin. You've got playmaking, shot creating in the backcourt. You add a, a sharpshooter in uh, Jalen coleman lands, And even the guys who are already on the team, like Christian Brown, Ochai if he returns, Jalen Wilson, you sort of have this expectation that they're going to be better now that they've got some players that you can't really game plan for. Like You could game plan for Kansas last year. You could say, these are the sets they're going to run. They're going to dump it inside to David McCormick. Uh, Marcus Garrett will sort of drive downhill at times, but they don't really have anybody who's just going to beat you off the dribble and go make a shot when you play them you know, perfectly, defensively. That's not going to be the case next year. You can play great defense and Remy Martin will go and make a shot in your face. Same thing with Joe Yesifu. And because of that, it kind of makes me feel like we're going to see a better version of Christian Brown. We'll see a better version of Jalen Wilson. Even if these guys don't take monumental leaps next year, the best will be brought out of them because you've got better players around them, better fits around them with those playmakers. Same thing with David McCormick. Like Life's going to be easier on him now. They may not run it through him as much as they did a year ago, but things are going to be opened up because I think the spacing is going to be better and because of guys like Remy and, and Joe. So they're all of a sudden, can we call him Joe, by the way? That would not be a question for me. <laughs> well, his name is Joe, but I'm saying for us, 
like fans. I'm speaking on behalf of the fan base. We can call them Yesifu because there will be no confusion over who we're talking about. But you don't get guys named Joe very often in college basketball. So I think just calling him Joe. There's no other Joes on the team. Joe. Kind of an older name, you know. Kind of like you don't expect to, you don't expect there to be any Eugenes in college basketball or, I don't know, Rick. I think that was the appeal of calling Charlie Moore Chuck. Yeah. But he actually goes by Joe, I believe. So let's do that from now on. There's a lot of things to like about that team. The one thing that I kind of found myself thinking about was, though, this is going to be as fresh of a team and as new of a team as we've really had since that two- or three-year stretch when they were bringing in 2014-2015 roster turnover because of the freshmen that were leaving each year. Like, at this point, if you do believe that is not coming back, which, again, I'm not ready to go there. I'm not. It's so early. I'm not ready to go there. But a lot of people seem to feel that way. And if that's the way it ends up working out, you're basically coming back next year with four guys who played significant roles, and really even to a further extent three. If you want to say Dewan was more of a, a rotational piece, you got Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, and David McCormick. Everybody else is new. They're not young. It's not like bringing in freshmen, but they've never played with one another. And I think with that, there comes inherent fear that it's not going to mesh and that guys are going to take time to figure out how to play next to one another. It's not like you just went out and added one piece, the missing puzzle piece. You retooled the roster. And Bill Self basically told you this was going to happen after the USC game. Like, we got to go out and, and get longer. We got to get more athletic. They've done that. They've gotten more athletic. They have filled in some gaps that were sorely needed from last year's team. But isn't there a slight fear that it's not going to mesh and that these guys get on campus and you realize, okay, maybe maybe Remy Martin and Joe Yesifu don't fit as well next to each other as we thought they would? Yeah. I, I think when you look at like some of Bill Self's best teams, it's very easy to correlate more experienced teams have done better under Bill Self. But we've never had this before. We've never had the mix of, yes, they're experienced, but what we're going to find out this year is what matters more. Is it just experience in general, or is it experience specifically in the system? And if it's experience specifically in the system, that doesn't bode well. Because, I mean, just seeing the number of new players, like, you know, you think it's a lot of names, but just seeing the exact number, it is 10 new players yeah, on the roster. Wild. That is wild to think about. For a, You get 13 scholarships. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I guess technically you're one over this year because of Mitch. So and one of, those, one of those additions isn't a scholarship player. Yeah. But, like, I, I am just completely, it's almost like this year is going to be a guinea pig. It's, it's a lab rat of a season, so to speak, to see what it is. Is it more important to just have experience, regardless how you get the experience, or is it going to be more important for, for KU and Bill Self teams to have specific experience in the program? Because on paper, it feels like they should fit. It feels like, all right, Remy Martin, Yesifu. Yesifu's less of a ball-dominant point guard, so he can play off the ball but still be sort of a secondary creator. Remy will be that sort of guy. You, you look at the way he was allowed to play at, Arizona State, and it's going to change a little bit, right? He's not going to be given the same amount of freedom that he was. They, they basically said, go out and uh, do what you want. Take as many shots as you want to. 
there didn't seem to be any limitations on what he was allowed to do. That's going to change. Like, he's not going to be able to get away with uh, poor shot quality like he did at Arizona State. And again, I'm not expecting that that's going to be an issue. Like, you kind of know what you're signing up for. There's the defensive side of things. We always say that with freshmen, that's a lot of times why Bill Self hasn't had a long leash for these guys because, specifically, they don't know what to do defensively. And that's the one thing that he doesn't have patience for. And he's not really willing to let guys learn through. I think he's gotten better about that. He's gotten a little bit more flexible uh, and extended the leash with younger guys in, in recent memory than maybe he did you know, seven, eight years ago. But that's a concern, too. You say, okay, well, what if these guys, what if Yesifu and... And Remy Martin, and even you know Jalen Coleman lands all these, even the uh, the freshmen, obviously. But when you look specifically at the transfers, you wonder if he'll say, okay, well, uh, maybe they're not going to be used. Everybody thinks they can play defense, and then you show up on campus and you realize the expectations at Kansas are a little bit different. Again, I'm not saying that I have concerns, but it, it's it's going to be like you said, a very good experiment to find out. What happens when you are uber talented? Sounds like a TV show. What happens when you put 14 guys in a room? Yeah. It does, but this is sort of uncharted waters. We've never seen Bill Self go about assembling a roster. Because when you think about the success that Candace has had with transfers, and they've had really good success, uh, Diedrich Lawson, Malik Newman. Isaiah Moss fit a perfect role. Tark Black. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys they've went out and got have had success. But as you mentioned, Isaiah Moss was one piece. They needed a shooter to fill in around the guys they already had coming back. Diedrich Lawson was supposed to come in and be that guy on a really young team. And it was really young, but it didn't. It wasn't a great fit, right? Because KU was still missing other pieces. Malik Newman obviously filled his role to a T. Already really talented without him. He was just another piece. Tark Black, same thing. This isn't like that. It would have been had you returned everybody and then you just went out and got Remy Martin. And you said, okay, well, Marcus Garrett's gone to the NBA, to graduation. Remy Martin can come in and fill that void. I feel like we'd be talking about this team a little bit differently. And I don't know if that team on paper would have a lower, higher ceiling than this team on paper. You'd probably say lower because overall, people are pretty optimistic about the guys that you've went out and got versus the guys that you lost. But we don't know how it's going to work out. But on paper, you would look at that and say, I think I feel a little bit more comfortable simply because you know. You know exactly what you're returning. Like, if it was just Remy Martin, Christian Brown, Ochai, Jalen Wilson, and Dave, that's what you'd be thinking. What if it is that, by the way? What if that is your starting lineup, and then this whole thing is null and void? We'll say, well, I guess it is kind of the same team as last year. At least the starters. But, 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 we mean, said, still. but what did we say at the end of the season, right after the USC loss? We said, you can't really expect to run it back next year and have drastically different results. No. And honestly, the biggest question is going to be how you kind of morph the personalities together to be one team. You know, like, mm. I know that can be a little hokey, the team aspect of it sometimes, but that's important. Like, how do you get 10 new guys to come in with the four or five, whatever, previous guys who were already here? And get them to get along and get them to create a culture and get them to, you know, for the new guys coming in, get them to buy in instead of wherever they were pers- previously. Or for the guys who were already here, get them to adjust and say, no, this isn't going to be like last year. Like, this is a new team now, you know? You can't just, just because you were here the year before, that doesn't make you the hot stuff. So, 
there's a lot that goes into this, and we still don't even know who the other assistant head coach is going to be for Kansas. That's going to be another new face. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, though, is that when you just look at this roster compared to the one that you would have had had you not went out and, and tapped into the transfer portal the way you did, there would have been a lot more expectations for freshmen right away. And now I kind of look at it and say, I don't know who's going to play from the freshman class. I mean, I would assume like Zach Clements will have a shot, but now he's got competition, right? He's got to go up against Cam Martin. Same thing with KJ Adams. Bobby Pettiford, you would have thought, hey, man, I mean, what were we saying a week ago? Bobby Pettiford can compete for a starting job. Now it's like, well, you're going to compete for backup point guard minutes with DeWan Harrison. If you lose out, you won't play at all. It's crazy how one addition or two additions can sort of alter your expectations for how things are going to play out, but that's exactly what's happened with KU. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all because it's objectively good to go out and get a guy like Remy Martin. But with it brings some level of unknown that we just haven't seen in quite some time with Kansas. We'll talk more about it with Scott Chasen of Fog.net, 24-7 Sports. He'll join the show coming up here in about 20 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This episode is brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash. Join the Tommy Club. You can download the Tommy Club app and enjoy endless washing for one low price, Derek. That means unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, which, by the way, I've taken advantage of. It's kind of like the, the express lane on the highway. You don't necessarily like to lord over everybody else, but when you're zooming through, and getting in to get your car washed first, like that's why it's called Tommy's Express, right? You get unlimited access to all their locations, unlimited guest service, and perhaps most importantly, unlimited happiness, Derek. And I think that's something that we just don't emphasize nearly enough in life. I'm looking at your car right now. I'm thinking it could maybe use a trip to Tommy's Express. What do you got going on later? Thinking maybe you should stop there on your way home. You're going to at least consider it? I will absolutely be going to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Now, the, the outside of your car, the exterior, it does look okay. Where my concern begins is the interior of your car. Yeah. When you have I, a, I don't a think dog. I don't think the inside of that car has seen a deep cleaning in quite some time. No, when you have a dog, when you have a golden retriever, you got hair everywhere. And they have those vacuums that, you know, it's going to get out for you. So, yeah, I'm definitely making an appointment. Tommy's Express Car Wash. What I love about the, the vacuums at Tommy's Express, the cord comes down from the top. So, you're not having to try and wrap it around your car and getting yourself into a pretzel. No, very flexible vacuums. You want to go to the left side of the car, the right side of your car. You're perfectly good. Tommy's Express Car Wash. Wash, rinse, repeat. Okay, you announced uh, some schedule updates for the football season earlier today. First two games of the year are going to be played on Fridays. Opening the season September 3rd versus South Dakota at home. And then week two, September 10th, at Coastal Carolina. I saw John Kirby say that that's going to be the first time a Power 5 opponent has played at Coastal Carolina. Somebody also called it a rivalry. <laughs> Have you felt that way? Do you feel the disdain you do, you know, do you feel that disdain towards Coastal Carolina as you do a K-State or a, a Missouri even? No, but, I mean, think about it. Those games, have, those series have had hundreds of games 
to prosper. Maybe not hundreds, but lots of games to prosper. This one's mm-hmm. only had, what, two or three? And if you compared the first couple games of this for some of those others, you might, I mean, you had the pinata in the locker room. You have them coming on your home field both times and kind of kicking your butt. It's it, it No, it's not there. But trending, question mark? Yeah. It's It's moving in that direction. I feel it. I would love to be associated just by proxy to Coastal Carolina. They're kind of a sexy up-and-comer. So if you can hit yourself to that wagon, might not be the worst idea in the world. What's funny to me is, so here's the thing. Uh, Travis Goff issued a, a statement or comment, whatever. Uh, here's what he said. Quote, kicking off the season in Labor Day weekend on a Friday night is exactly the type of excitement we're looking to generate as we build this football program. I know families have plans for Labor Day weekend, and moving this game up a day will allow our fans the opportunity to start their extended weekend at David Booth, Kansas Memorial Stadium. This will be the first time in nearly two years that we will be able to be near capacity, and we know the Jayhawk faithful will want to be together in person once again. Okay, so I originally thought when you move to a Friday, you want to be on TV. You don't want to be one of 100 games going on on Saturday. You want to be one of a couple games going on on Friday. They moved to Friday, and they're still not on TV. They're on ESPN+. Plus. I mean, it's South Dakota, so I get it. Like, who's... I mean, ESPN's not lining up to put that on the um, the mother... What do they call Mothership. it? Mothership. Mothership, yeah. Uh, it's KU South Dakota. But moving it to a Friday, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And if you re- if you go to Travis Goff's comment that it allows people to get a head start on their Labor Day, okay, okay, all right. So you think there are people who are leaving town for Labor Day weekend, and if the game's on Saturday, they're not going to be able to go. But if you put the game on a Friday night, they're going to say, "Great, we can still leave town in the morning." But we can get the weekend started off with uh, Friday night under the lights. What percentage of KU fans does that apply to? See, I'm not even I'm not even trying to rag on KU. What percentage of fans does that apply to? How many? What? How many people? How many families were thinking about? Oh, dang it! We're gonna have to miss the KU game, and now they're saying perfect. Do you want to put it up for a poll? I mean, no, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, is it is it 100 fans? Is it 100 families? Are you going to sell an extra 400 tickets? Seriously. What it does on the flip side is that you've got this coaching staff and, and this head coach and who's is talking about wanting to repair the relationships and go out and, and, and clean up recruiting in your backyard in the state of Kansas. I mean, they play on Friday nights. High school football plays on Friday. Yeah. And you're opening up the season two straight weeks. Well, that's something else. Not just kids. I mean, it's for multiple levels. You've got high school kids who aren't going to be able to attend the games. You've got fans who now have to choose between going to the KU game or the high school game. And either way, I don't see how any area high school coach is not going to be a little bit perturbed by that. Right. Well, I think that's a little ironic, the idea that you would go out with your family on a vacation or go somewhere for that weekend for Labor Day weekend, most of those people, if you're a family, you probably have a high school kid who might be on the football team. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do? Are you going to go to the KU football game or are you going to go see your son 
or nephew's football game. You're probably going to go see your son or your nephew's football game. So that is a little weird to me. But even if it does result in an extra 1,000 fans, for instance, I guess what is more valuable? Is it getting an extra 1,000 fans in attendance for two games? Or is it, like you said, you know, starting with a better relationship with the high school kids? I I don't know. I, I like I don't want to I don't want to view this as sour grapes from my end of things, our end of things because I know personally here at the radio station we air, you know, Lawrence High and Free State football games. And typically we have two stations that we can air them on. We air them on KLWN and 92.9 the Bull. Which works out perfectly because we have two high schools. Now what do we do? You yeah. know, because we have one station for yeah, the two I don't, high schools. I don't care about that. I mean, honestly, like person, I don't care about it from a personal level. Um but yeah, I, I would care about it if I were one of the two high schools in town. <laughs> Who, by the way, you haven't exactly done a crack job of getting the best recruits from. Again, I'm not sitting here saying this is like the worst decision ever. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And it just, I think it lacks a little bit of foresight to, to understand that, first off, like these decisions... And they've been making it long before Travis Goff and Lance Leifel got here. And I don't even know who officially made this decision. And it may have been more of just like, we have to play the game on Friday. But this goes back to the Jeff Long era of you convince yourself of these ideas. Oh, all these fans are going to be able to go now. They weren't going to be there on Labor Day. You convince yourself that this is a great idea, but it's just not really based in reality. Because the fact of the matter is, want to be real here? Nobody's paying attention to KU football. Nobody is paying attention, and nobody's going to the games. You're not going to get any students to go to the games on a Friday. You're not going to get any families with young kids to go to the game on a Friday night. It's not happening. It's not happening. These decisions of, like, let's let's attract more fans. You And people rag on me for saying this as if it's not the most accurate thing you could possibly say regarding KU football or any football program for that matter. And it feels like it's a lazy thing to say, but it is the only thing to say. You want fans to show up when, when, that's it. That is it. That's the only thing you can do. It's the only thing you can do aside from handing out money to people who come to games. Those are your two options. Offer people $50 to come sit in the stands for a day or win games. That's it. Like playing the game on a Friday night and doing, it, nobody cares. Nobody cares. It affects such, such a small percentage of people who would proclaim to be Kansas football fans. Because those ones, by the way, they're going to the games no matter what. They're going to the games no matter what. And again, that's, that's, you're talking about single digit thousand people, single digits, because that's the fan base right now. They are not paying attention. They're not. Because you've given them no reason to. And putting the game on a Friday night is not going to change that. It's not. And the TV argument, too, is a little bit silly. As if now that it's on ESPN Plus on Friday night, people are going to be flipping through their ESPN Plus app and say, well, Kansas, South Dakota's playing, so let me find out a little bit more about these programs. It's not going to happen, man. So, do I think it's the worst thing in the world? No, but I don't think it makes any sense either. Scott Chasen, 24-7 Sports, going to join the show coming up next. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk.
I wonder if you asked Bill Self today. I think Jesse Newell asked him like two days ago, are you done recruiting? And he said, no, I'm not done recruiting. And then the next day, yesterday, Jalen Coleman lands. Announces he's committing to Kansas. If you asked him today, would he still say he's not done? There's got to be a line, right? There's got to be a line that you're not willing to cross. You're not going to go 15 guys. 16. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. But at this point, you've got basically a month and a half before the guys who are in the NBA draft have to make their decision whether or not they're going to come back. And it's just hard to imagine Bill Self sitting there and twiddling his thumbs and not constantly thinking about worst case scenario. What if these guys stay in the draft? I got to come up with a contingency plan. It'll be fascinating because it's sort of uncharted waters with how roster construction works in college basketball. Scott Chasen of Fog.net and 24-7 Sports joins us now on the show. What do you think, Scott? Right now, officially one over the scholarship limit. You've got decisions from three guys, Remy Martin, Ochai, and Jalen. But it does seem like Bill Self's sort of planning for the worst if those guys try to go in. What do you think this coaching staff does over the next couple of weeks, the next month and a half? Yeah, well, I don't think they're done from the perspective of gathering information and preparing and planning. And the reason why is you have a couple of guys whose goal is to set out to, you know, go and make the NBA, go and get drafted. And, you know, I I think someone tweeted around the time Remy Martin committed to Kansas and said, well, this probably means he wants to play college basketball and, and he'll be happy to play college basketball. He'll be excited to play at Kansas. But make no mistake, he does not want to be playing college basketball next year is the number one option. He wants to be in the NBA. It was very similar with Marcus Garrett. Obviously, Marcus Garrett isn't coming back, but he's still trying to make it. Ochai Abaji is a guy, you know, when when he declared and after talking to Bill Self about it, you know, I felt it was like a 60-40 kind of thing. I, I think this kind of decision would maybe paint things in a little bit different direction and say, okay, yeah, maybe it's actually pretty likely that Ochai is going to end up leaving. Uh, That could be for a number of reasons. You know, is he going to be able to help his stock all that much by coming back, uh, considering how loaded the roster is? Yes, he'll have a big role, um, but will he be able to do more uh, and improve his stock from the last year? Maybe he's got, you know, getting good feedback from teams. I I don't know what the reason is. Maybe uh, it has nothing to do with Ochai. Maybe it's something about Jalen. I truly don't know. I just think when you enter an offseason with so much uncertainty already because of the NBA draft, and then you add in the transfer portal, which has just made things insane, you know, combined with the one-time transfer waiver, uh, you almost have to do this if you're the coach of an elite program because, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you get left out at the end and, oh, you know, hey, we needed a point guard and we never got one or something like that. Bill Self has certainly taken the approach of being proactive, I would say, rather than necessarily being reactive. It's weird with Remy because I I think you're right. I think all these guys who entered the draft, especially the ones who have been in college for four years and last year on a really bad team, it would make sense for a guy like Remy Martin. Like, I'm ready to move on with my career and I'm ready to go get paid to play basketball. The flip side of that is that if you're even – Slightly realistic, you understand, in his case, you're not getting drafted. You're, you're not. And we could say, well, it only takes one team. Okay, you're six foot. You're not like this explosive athlete. You are not this lethal shooter. NBA teams don't salivate over those types of guys. So is, is, is it one of those things where, of course, best case scenario, he would like to get drafted and would like to be playing in the NBA next year, but... Like, in all reality, that's probably not going to happen. Therefore, there's a really good chance he's going to be playing for Kansas. 
You know, I think you described it well just how you put it, which is this is a guy who wants to go pro. And, you know, obviously I think everyone read when his dad did that interview with The Athletic where he said as much. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, I don't know what his stock is. He's not on big boards. You know, Oche Abaji sometimes appeared on them, or maybe he would appear in one, you know, a late first-round pick for 2022 or something, you know, like a, a year from now. Um, but Remy Martin's not a guy who has. I think physical limitations, playing on a team that's not very good, I think it's shot selection. You know, he's a guy who actually shot it pretty well at the rim, given his size, you know, at, at a, probably a pretty surprising level, better than senior year Frank Mason, certainly. Uh, and also he made a decent percentage of his threes. The issue was uh, he took a lot of bad shots in between those two areas. Uh, but he was also on a team that he had to and, and a team out of necessity. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure NBA teams, when they're, you know, splitting hairs between, you know, the, this two-way guy or this late second-round pick, they're going to, you know, spend that much time being like, well, what were the circumstances with Remy Martin? You know, they, they have bigger things that they have to worry about. But for him, I do think it's a good situation where you can go to a Kansas team, you can be the point guard, you can play like you did your sophomore year when he averaged like 12 points and five assists per game. And if you do that on a national stage, you're going to wake some people up, especially if you have good shooting efficiency, uh, which I think he'll have the chance to on a team with a lot of good shooters. So, um, you know, if I were advising him about his maybe best pro prospects or chance, you know, to play at the next level, I would probably say, hey, yeah, you're at Kansas, could probably do wonders for your stock. But again, it, it just seems like his focus has been getting to the NBA. And it's, it's different for every guy, right? Like some guys, a two-way contract is enough. They're going to, you know, take that leap. Uh, some guys, that's not enough. Some guys want to be a first-round pick. Some guys want to be whatever. Um, it, it's a different decision for everyone, and, and that'll be something he has to make. But, you know, at the very least, he has a very, very good situation to come back to where he's going to get the keys to KU basketball and a KU basketball team uh, with a ton of offensive talent, and he's going to get uh, the chance to run the show there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with, with Remy Martin. You look at all of the, the goods, which there's a lot, right? Dynamic score, uh, go and get your own shot. The, the negatives are that he took some bad shots at Kansas, and there's sort of this idea that that's not going to fly. Is that one of those things where you just expect it to sort of naturally happen, like knowing, okay, I'm not going from an 11-win team, I'm going to a team that, that competes for a national championship? Or do you think that's something that could sort of creep up throughout the season where we're talking about this guy's shot selection again? Yeah, I mean, it might creep up at times. But, but again, I, I would just point back to his sophomore year when he was in so much more you know, not exclusively a facilitating role, but where he was doing it more. Because I think he is a capable passer. You know, he played with Lou Dort. He played with, you know, I, I think that was probably the best team they had. I can't remember. It was either that year or his freshman year. But, you know, they, they've gone through some ups and downs and times where he's had to be the guy. Now, I will say, in his junior year, I mean, I read a story that said he got booed at a home game. Uh, because he, you know, was just taking so many shots, and and uh, they obviously weren't hitting. But but I think as a senior, um, I, I think he really improved. I, I'm not going to say his shot selection necessarily got that much better, but I think at the very least he became a little little bit more discerning. And then I think on a team with uh, you know a lot of talent and with Bill Self coaching it, I think you'll see a lot of the the poor shot selection, a lot of the the hero ball, the, you know, I've got to make something happen myself. I think you'll see that decrease to a significant degree. But again, that being said, I mean, it's not like his percentages were horrible. He still shot it uh, at a pretty decent rate, especially, you know, I think about, what, like 35% or something from three-point range. And, you know, he's taken six attempts per game the last two years. So, you know, he's capable of making bad and tough shots. And, you know, at the very least, 
Kansas kind of needed someone who did that last year, right? Like how many times did it get into a late game situation and it was going to be a Marcus Garrett drive to the rim? And that, you know, sometimes because Kansas didn't necessarily always have the shooting around him, another defender comes over, the shot gets blocked. It's, you know, it's just tough to execute late game. And Kansas did execute in some games, not so much in others. But this is a guy where there's no question, you know, give him the ball and let him at least try and make a play. And I think Joe Yesesu, uh, I think he, to an extent, falls into that category. So, you know, I think you take the good with the bad, but I will say this. Kansas needs someone who takes bad shots because it means Kansas has someone on the team who's capable of going <laughs> one-on-one and, and getting a shot like that. So uh, it's, I guess, a double-edged sword or something, whatever you want to call it. But I do think it'll be fun to watch. I think fans will really enjoy this next year's K basketball team uh, with the obvious comparison being to last year's K basketball team. Talking to Scott Jason here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. What do you think of the Jalen Coleman lands commitment? Uh, I think he's a good pickup. How it was described to me by uh, Michael Swain, who I used to, to work with, who now covers Iowa State uh, for 24-7 sports. He told me he's comparable to Ochai Abaji offensively, not quite the athlete defensively, or not quite the athlete overall, and then uh, definitely not the same player defensively. So uh, it, it's definitely a, a downgrade. And, and look, if it is a one-to-one replacement for Ochai Abaji, it makes sense. It's about as good as you're going to do this late in the cycle. And again, Kansas should have a bunch of wings and talent out, you know, on the perimeter, on the wing, where, you know, you don't necessarily need every player to be a superstar. But, you know, I, I think he'll have the potential to make shots to space the floor. He was around 40% from three last year. Uh, he's, from what I've heard, a hard worker, good character guy. He won't have problems in the locker room if, you know, he isn't playing a huge role. Uh, winning is really important this time around. So, you know, a guy taking a smaller role, transferred to a bigger uh, school. And, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how they use him because I think late in the year they started doing uh, some creative things to get him open, uh, free him up off ball. And, you know, that should be interesting to watch in Lawrence. Do you think that that signals that Ochai is going to stay in the draft? Yeah, I think it probably does as much as anything, just because, you know, it's not like they went and got another point guard or another big man. I mean, this is a very specific kind of player, right? Like a 6'5 wing who shoots threes, you know, like you're going out to get something in, in you know, particular. This, you know, it doesn't make sense as a Jalen Wilson replacement. It doesn't really make sense as a, you know, what if you don't get this point guard because he's not a point guard. Um, it, it makes sense to me. Like that is a one-to-one. Do I think that means 100% Ochai is gone? I don't know. I don't have that information. But to me, on the you know, just looking at it from uh, from 60,000 feet or whatever, that would make most sense to me is saying, hey, you know, Ochai probably stays in the draft. Hey, this guy has the chance to come in and fill a role. Yeah, it's just so weird because I just don't understand a couple of things. If that's the case... I mean, does that, did Ochai call Bill Self and say, you know what, I know I haven't went through any of the NBA process yet, but I'm I'm made up my mind. I'm staying. Did they say that initially? If not, why didn't they just come out and say, you know what, I'm forgoing the rest of my eligibility. I'm, I'm entering the draft. Like, the timing of that, like sitting here on May 20th, now all of a sudden, now we have clarity on what Ochai is going to do before that process even began. That That's a bit of a head-scratcher for me. Yeah, well, I, I will say this. I do think he's, you know, I think guys start to get feedback and learn more and more. I think when he first declared, and that was first kind of all up in the air, Bill Self, at least what I remember talking to him, was kind of viewing it as like a 50-50 kind of thing. 
like a legitimately, I don't know, you know, something could happen, something won't. I know a lot of people uh, read into his statement, which really sounded like, hey, I'm ending my time at KU, I want to go pro. Um, There was something KU put out or a comment from Bill Self that sounded like he still needs to figure out if he wants to go pro. Um, So they're, um, you know, not necessarily conflicting, maybe contrasting messages um, in that regard. But, you know, look, again, I I don't know necessarily just with the team and the roster that KU has built how much Ochai would be able to improve his stock because it's not like he's going to be a guy that goes from 13 or 14 points a game to, to 20 just because, one, he's not a I'm going to go get my own shot kind of guy, and two, uh, the talent around him is you know, markedly improved to where you could argue he may even have a smaller role on next year's team. And I'm, I'm not saying you should do everything in the vein of you know, how big is my role going to be in the NBA, but if he's hearing you know, early on that teams are looking at his game and actually are liking him or you know, saying, hey, we want you, we want to see this, this, and this at the Combine, and if you do that, whatever, and, you know, word gets back to KU that, hey, you know, maybe this guy actually does have a pretty good chance of going. Uh, I do think it makes sense. Now, you know, the possibility is always out there. Uh, If you need to make a roster spot, you can. And that's part of this transfer era and everything, too, as much as, you know, players want freedom, and that's obviously very, very understandable. Uh, Kind of the coach answer to that is, oh, hey, we have too many roster spots. Okay, you know, whoever, you're gone. You know, sorry, you're going to have to find a new home. And, you know, if, if Kansas needs to, you know, make another roster spot, I get the sense, you know, they always could do that. But, you know, this just seemed like a weird take to me, especially as a one-year guy, that it doesn't really make sense uh, unless they know that there is a spot uh, that's going to open up. And, and again, you know, Ochai's would seem to be the most logical or, you know, the most reasonable to, to be that one. Do you think any of the the freshmen who are already committed and signed, do you think any of them look at their situation and say, I'm buried? Um, I'm so far down here on the depth chart that, you know, maybe I should come up with a backup plan here so I don't have to toil away on the bench. Well, here's the good news for them. Uh, Remy Martin is a one-year guy. Cam Martin is a one-year guy. No relation. Jalen Coleman-Lands is a one-year guy. Mitch Lightfoot is a one-year guy. So, I mean, right there, I'm not saying that's a ton of minutes other than you know, probably Remy Martin, some to Coleman Lance. Like, that, that's a lot of minutes that are going to open up right away. And I think guys like Jalen Wilson and, you know, there, there will probably be others who emerge on the roster. We have to see what, like, Joe Yesifu looks like. Maybe Christian Brown, I don't know. But uh, who even they could, you know, have a nice year and, and then move on. So uh, I think for one year, I'm not sure how many open spots are available that are the most favorable for some of those guys. Not all, because a lot of the highly recruited guys could go just about anywhere. Um, but, you know, they'll probably have to hang tough for one year. This will probably be a year, especially if Kansas does indeed go into the season, you know, with one extra scholarship spot filled because of the COVID year in Mitch Lightfoot, where you, you might redshirt a couple guys and you might go back to that. And, you know, that might fall on the freshmen. That might fall on, you know, who knows that that would go to. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me if one of the young players, uh, particularly in the backcourt where they're like, what, like four point guards at this point, uh, said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not in love with this situation. I want to move on. But, you know, at the same time, I think a lot of it, a lot of it uh, clears up after one year. Yeah, you're, you're right, because Remy's going to play a ton. Like, Remy's going to come in and, and play 30-plus minutes a game, I would imagine. Yet, like, the guy like Bobby Pettiford, it's so interesting because he's somebody who I, I think is a really intriguing prospect, not just because he was Louisville, but you look at the improvements he made from junior to senior year. I know you've, you've covered him a lot with what you do on uh, Fog, but 
I just wonder about a guy like him where you can easily get really, really excited about him and say this guy could be a really special player in a couple years. Or you could look at the reality and say, I just don't know where the minutes are going to come for him. Yeah, I mean, look, here's what we know right now. Uh, you know, Bobby Pettiford, Dewan Harris, one of those guys isn't playing. Um, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe someone isn't as good as advertised and magical and minutes appear out of nowhere. But I don't see Dewan Harris spending a lot of time at the two. I don't see Remy Martin spending a lot of time at the two. I don't see Bobby Pettiford spending a lot of time at the two. So one of those guys, and for a lot of the game, two of those guys, you know, isn't flush, aren't going to be playing. And so, uh, again, you know, that, that's just the spot I look at and I say, you know, you add Joe Yesifu into the mix where I think he'll get the chance to play off ball, but what if that doesn't work as well? What if you have this plethora of wings and Coleman Lands is really good and, and Bill Self likes Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson and all these guys? You know, there aren't infinity minutes. I know, I mean, you're, it, it seems like you're the person every year, in fact, saying you, Nick, being like, uh, hey, you know, one of the guys you think is going to play a lot, they're just straight up not going to play. And I think it's very easy to pinpoint that point guard position and say, Dewan Harris, Bobby Pettiford, one of you guys is not going to play just because there are not infinity minutes. So, yeah, I think that's one position to watch. I think that's, I don't know if you'd call it a danger position, but uh, one where you just look at and say, you know, you really need to make sure guys are comfortable with their roles. They understand what the future looks like, especially, again, because Remy Martin is, is a one-year guy, essentially, if he even makes it to campus. You know, he's, he's there for one year. And then he's gone. He, there's no threat of him coming around and, you know, playing 28 minutes, 30 minutes the next year, too. So I think that's probably the most interesting spot on the roster, not because the starter is a question mark, but because of the talent behind him. He's Scott Chasen. You can check out his work, fog.net, 247sports.com. Appreciate the convo as always, Scott. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. All righty. That is Scott Chasen. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Interesting little nugget here from a piece recently posted by C.J. Moore on The Athletic. He got uh, an assistant coach from the Pac-12, an assistant coach from the Big 12 to give sort of the the scouting reports on Remy Martin and Jalen Coleman-Lands and kind of talk about what they're going to bring to the table for Kansas. And here is what one of the Big 12 coaches had to say about you know, how Kansas is going to be different this year than when they were last year. It says, great college guards live in the paint. And if you're a college guard and you can't get to the paint, then you can't really affect winning in our league because the scouting and the sets are taken away. And adding Remy and Yesifu gives them a chance to really live in the paint again the way they did with their point guards in the past. Which I would assume he's referring to, you know, Frank Mason's, Devontae Graham's, Devon Dotson, Mario Chalmers of the world. If you go and watch any film or any, I always say film, like as if I'm watching film. I watch a YouTube video. You know what I mean? Watching the All-22. Like Bobby Hurley's not sending me practice footage. It's the highlights. I'm seeing all the good things. But when you look at Remy Martin, he is so adept at drawing fouls. And getting to the line. You know, he, he's going to get you. I mean, last year as a senior, which was arguably his best season, uh, he averaged six attempts a game. And he's a career 76% free throw shooter. 
So you're talking about a guy who at times can be a little bit out of control, but he didn't have talent around him. You know, it's one thing when you're driving and kicking out to knock down shooters. It's another thing when you're driving and you have nobody to kick it to, right? When you don't have shooters on the outside. Who are you creating for? This is going to be, at least um, of the times when Remy was that guy, because he was a, as a freshman, he was the sixth man. There was a lot of talent in front of him. But the last two years, he was the first team all-conference selection, best player on the team. This is going to be the most talented team he's ever played on. He's going to have more weapons around him than he's ever had before. So you can go back and question the shot selection and the shot quality, but they let him do that because they didn't have a better option. That's not going to be the case. And I would imagine this guy's going to revel in the opportunity to, to play around other talented players, obviously compete for a title, but that's why I just by default, I think guys like Christian Brown and Jalen Ochai, if he's back, like they're all going to look better and he's going to look better because of it. Like Dave, we didn't even talk about Dave. It was just basically dump it down to Dave and he's going to turn around and throw something up. I mean, it looked a lot better at the tail end of the season than it did at the beginning of the season. But think about how life's going to change for him. You have not one, but two legitimate playmaking ball handling guards in Remy and Yesifu. Because of that, what's that going to create? More spacing, right? Those guys are going to draw the attention of defenders. It's going to make life easier for whoever's on the perimeter, whether it be Jalen Wilson or Christian Brown or Ochai or Jalen Coleman lands. Going to get a lot more open looks than they got a season ago. Like Christian Brown, one of his biggest faults, I believe, is that he's got a really slow release. And when there wasn't a lot of open shots to come by, he wasn't the type of guy that could just sort of rise up and and drain one in your face. Like Jalen Coleman-Land seems like he is that guy. Remy Martin is that guy. They're not afraid to shoot with just a a little bit of space there. But because of that, you're going to get that spacing. Good shots are going to be easier to come by, which opens everything up in the middle of the floor for David McCormick, who again... Like, we look at that season as a whole, and it's kind of like, well, it was, you know, a rough start, but he finished really strongly. Like, I almost expect next season to be better yeah. than it was at the tail end of the season for Dave. Well, I mean, that's the the weird thing with Dave. Like, he could be the same player that yes. he was at the end of the season, but by doing it for the full season, it would be a much better season. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's look at the the tail end of the season for Dave. I mean, month of February, he averaged 15 and 7. Month of March, only three games, 15 and 8. But the field goal percentage in February went up from, you know, he shot 41% from the field in December. That went up to 58% in February. Like, I kind of expect him to be a 60% shooter next year. And if that's the case, you're talking about high level efficiency from a guy who. I mean, we can get caught up talking about the guards, but make no mistake, Dave is still going to be a focal point of this offense. Like, if it's if it's Remy Martin, if it's his show, and he's option 1A, like, Dave's going to be 1B. He's still going to get a ton of touches, and I expect, I, I, I would feel even more confident about that with Remy, knowing that you're not going to have to force it like you did last year. Because what was the other thing we said about last year's team? You didn't have a lot of good passers. Mm-hmm. You didn't have good entry passers who knew how to like put that ball up there 
and and sort of throw it perfectly right where that guy can catch it and, and go up with it and, and get the angle on his man. You didn't have that. You've got adept passing now with Remy. He's not going to average seven assists per game, but you don't need that. You just need somebody who can kind of play make and, and get the ball to the right spot. Yeah, and I, I think something else like that we talked about kind of ad nauseum with last year's team was, you know, with the lack of offense, you didn't get easy shots either. It wasn't just like like they weren't that good of a three-point shooting team. They weren't, like you said, a great passing team. But they, they shot 49% on twos over the course of the season. They're in 207th in the country. So they were bad at getting those easy buckets. Yeah. If Dave is the guy that we saw in the back half of the season, that's an improvement. Uh, Remy Martin, shots at the rim, 61%, according to Bart Torvik in 2020. Joe Yesifu, shots at the rim, 54%. Um according to Bart Torvik. Those are both numbers that would obviously raise from your 49% that you shot last year. There are ways that this team got a lot better beyond just the three-point shooting in my eyes. The question to me just becomes uh, something that Scott pointed out. You know, he was a guy that there were times when he would get a little, I don't know, wild with the shot selection. So can you rein that in? And does having that other talent around you allow you to rein it in enough because I, I don't think it's ever going to go away like there probably still will be a couple shots every game from maybe not just Remy Martin a couple of your players where you're like what was that shot but if it gets reined in enough where you're still efficient despite that mm. that's where you can have the success yeah I mean yes to foo like we can talk all we want about Remy Martin and his shot selection and and the volume and and what it looked like at Arizona State for a different caliber team yes Remember, he wasn't the full-time starter. He was the backup until their starting point guard at Drake went out. And not only did he become the starter, but he fired. So they kind of just handed the keys of the team to him and said, here you go, man. In the month of March, four games for Joe Yesifu. He averaged 39.8 minutes per game. He didn't come off the floor, ever. He took 20 shots per game. Took 20 shots per game. Now, over seven of those were from three, and he shot 40%. So he was still a dead eye. But there's a lot of other shots. That means 13 shots per game where he's taking them inside the arc, and he was not efficient whatsoever. But it's like a chicken versus the egg argument. Was it inefficient because he took so many shots, or did he take so many shots because he was really the only real option? And should we just assume that on a better team, everybody's going to know exactly when to take those shots and when not to, or is it a, that's going to have to be coached. You're going to have to teach this guy how to exist within a much, much different structured team than you were on at Drake or in Arizona State. Yeah, Both those guys of, have questions. No, and I think that's part of the what we opened the show with, with so many new players on the team, with 10 newcomers on the team. It would be a lot easier if there were three newcomers on the team and you were bringing Joe Yastafu yeah. or Remy Martin in and say, you slide into this role, now it's going to be easier to avoid those shots. But now that he's one of so many coming in and you're basically reinventing the team, it is going to be a little bit harder. It's kind of like, like Jalen Suggs yeah. and Gonzaga last year. They had a good team. They added a top five player at a position where they didn't have a you know, a lock-in starter. That's not what you've got here. You've basically, I mean, you if you just want to look at Remy Martin, sure, but he's not going onto a team where it's everybody who's played together before. Okay, is there a part of you at all, this is just me, throwing something out there, we'll see if it sticks, that thinks that Dewan Harris might be a better fit next to Remy Martin than Joe Yesifu 
for the reasons of you get another passer out there, you get a guy you don't have to worry about, oh, he's going to take a bunch of shots. And then in that regard, Yesifu can be that kind of NBA role sixth man that we think about. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't see I don't see Dewan Harris as a starter. Dewan Harris as as what we've seen so far from him in his collegiate career. He does not scream college starter to me. He screams backup point guard. And I'm not even saying like like just this year on that team. I'm saying long term. I just I don't see him as a starting point guard personally. I I think the upside of Bobby Pettiford is probably higher than it is of Dewan Harris. If, if you're to go any other direction with that other guard spot, the obvious choice is you just do, it's the same guy who started every game last year. It's Christian Brown. But he, he struggled so much at the end of the season. I feel like a lot of people, myself included, have kind of soured on him and, and what his upside is. The coaching staff probably still likes him a lot. But it's just tough to remove the the memories of him just really fading down the stretch. But again, maybe maybe life just gets easier for him. Maybe having a couple playmaking point guards out there they are going to open up things for him. He can get his confidence back. The same guy who scored 30 points. 30 points in the second game of the season. But that was a long time ago. Hey, did you, did you see uh, in completely unrelated news, the Falcons may be shopping Julio Jones. Mm. Best wide receiver in the NFL over the past decade. He's got a stake to that claim. Peter King first brought this up right after the draft. And he just mentioned it. He didn't say it was going to happen. He didn't say he heard it was going to happen. He just said, don't be surprised. And when a guy like that who's as plugged in as he is says something like that, usually it's because they know something. And now it's seeming like he did know something because the Athletic reporting earlier today that they want to move him. And it's as simple as they have no money. They are broke, and they owe him a hell of a lot of it. The Falcons are in cap hell right now. They they don't even have enough money right now to sign their rookies. They need like 7 or $8 million, according to this piece in The Athletic, to sign their rookie draft picks, and they don't have it. Now, they're going to find room for it. And the easiest way to do it is by releasing Julio Jones or trading Julio Jones. They already restructured... Matt Ryan's contract earlier this offseason, which I think helped them save $21 million. And they're still broke. And they're still broke. But all that did was kick the can down the road. Like, they're going to owe him $48 million next year. So, have fun with that. But they could clear over $15 million in cap space if they trade Julio Jones after June. Here are the teams that were mentioned. And I don't know if there's links to these teams or if these are just teams that make sense from a need and financial perspective. Uh, the Ravens, the Niners, the Patriots, the Colts, and the Chargers. The Ravens don't really have the money. They just drafted two wide receivers. They signed Sammy Watkins. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. The Colts and the Chargers, though, those are the interesting ones because they both have over $20 million of cap space. They got a lot of money. Niners and Patriots do, too. They're around $16, 17000000 million. Jones only played nine games last year. He was dealing with hamstring issues all season, and I think he missed four straight games to end the year. He's 32 years old, so... You know, his best football is probably behind him, but that doesn't change the fact that when healthy, he's still a top five receiver in the NFL. They only mentioned a handful of teams that would actually be able to go out and get him just because of the money. Like $15 million is a lot of money to give one guy, especially one that you don't know how much he's going to play. The amount of teams that would be interested in trading for Julio Jones will be a lot bigger than that. Like the Chiefs would probably love to have Julio Jones because he immediately makes you better and raises your ceiling as a team. Like there's nothing you can really do for him as an opposing defense. 
But the Chiefs, like most teams, can't afford it. Like, you can't afford it. You, you gut your roster in order to do it. And you're not going to do that, especially knowing that your financial situation isn't going to get any easier over the next handful of years with Patrick Mahomes' deal kicking in. So you've got to really maximize draft picks, and that's what they're going to want. They're going to want draft picks because they don't want to take on other contracts. Like this defeats the whole purpose. But the same reason why all these different teams would want to add a guy like Julio Jones is the same reason why the Falcons shouldn't be looking to deal Julio Jones. You made a decision this offseason to not draft a quarterback. You could have had Justin Fields at four, but instead you decided to draft the tight end, which would signal you're going for it. Right? You just want to be better right now. You restructured Matt Ryan's deal. You could have got rid of him, but you said, no, you still think he has good football in him. You're going to keep him around. Which, again, signals you're going for it. Which, again, is silly because you won four games last year. So if you're going to go for it, how does it make any sense to, to get rid of your best player? Because the reason why the Falcons have been a sexy pick year after year is because of Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. They went to the Super Bowl. Calvin Ridley emerging as a top 10 wide receiver last year. Then you add a tight end. Like, that could be a really explosive, potent offense. You've got a great offensive line. You hire Arthur Smith, who was a, a highly lauded OC from Tennessee. None of this makes any sense. Yet, if the deal is done, the one that scares the hell out of me is the Chargers because I already think the Chargers are due to be a really good team for the foreseeable future. You add Julio Jones to that offense with Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen. All of a sudden, they go from being, oh, watch out for the Chargers to legitimate threat in the AFC. Yeah. And then Aaron Rodgers gets traded to the Broncos, and the AFC West all of a sudden is a death trap. <laughs> the Raiders are still the Raiders. Yeah. It's fine, but you need a bottom yeah. feeder. But still, if the Raiders are the worst team in your division, that's like an 8-8 eight eight team, you know. I saw Pat McAfee reported earlier today that uh, Source told him Aaron Rodgers and John Elway played golf recently. Oh. Is that tampering? Yes. Is, are we sure? Yes. Lock John Elway up. By Send the, him to jail. By the definition of tampering. Mm-hmm. What if What if Aaron Rodgers, like, actually, what if it backfires? What if he hated golfing with John Elway? And I was like, no, I will stay in Green Bay. Just because he didn't have a good time? Yeah. John always showed him up. He didn't He didn't finish his putts. Mm-hmm. He just like kept giving himself gimmies. Yeah, he's like measuring with the, it's like slightly. Oh, inside the yeah. grip. Oh, slightly in there. Good, good. I'll take that one. <laughs> I'll take mine if you can take yours. I, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere. But it sounds like Julio needs to go somewhere. Because they, I mean, they have to sign their rookies. They need yeah. money. And no, he's, I mean, the, he's the easiest okay, You guy mentioned to cut. the 49ers, too. Like, that one would be very interesting just because we think of Kyle Shanahan, the offense. But when you think about his offense, too, do they really need Julio Jones? You know? Probably not because they're going to run the ball so much. And I mean, he would fit the bill because they, what do they like? Big physical receivers. That's who Ayuk and Debo Samuel are. And Julio Jones is the epitome of big physical receiver. If they did trade for him, that would just. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo would be the happiest guy in the world. He's like, there's no way I can screw this up. Yeah, I now Julio. I can't get benched for I can't experience. get benched because there's nothing I can do to have a Just bad throw season. Put up to Julio and George Kittle every play. Yeah. Honestly. Honest question. If if the 49ers traded for Julio Jones today, do they become the favorite to win the Super Bowl? When you look at that offense, I mean, you have everything you want with the running game between the O line and just Kyle Shanahan scheming things up. It's you know, receivers, you would have Julio Jones, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle is a tight end. That That's, becomes one of the most feared passing attacks in the league yeah with jimmy garoppolo quarterback which is wild 
But because of what you think about Kyle Shanahan and his ability to call plays, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, think about that. Was Kyle Shanahan the – when was he the coordinator of the Falcons? Was he there in 2015? I mean, took him to the Super Bowl. I can't remember if that was 2015 or Matt Ryan MVP no. year? Yeah, no, I just I, – I don't remember the exact year. But this is 2015 for Julio Jones, and I get it. This is maybe more of his prime. He had 136 catches for 1,871 yards. I think that was under Kyle Shanahan. If he plays 16 games, he's going to be a top two or three receiver in the league. Yeah. He just is. I played 15 games in 2019 and had 1,400 yards, so. And the thing about Julio is that his t- his touchdown numbers have been so lackluster, which mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense because he's like the perfect right. red zone target. <laughs> but for some reason, he just has never been able to have one of those explosive 15-touchdown seasons. If he did, if he were just a guy who was racking up 8, 9, 10 touchdowns every single year, I mean, we'd be bringing him up as one of the greatest wide receivers yeah. of all time. No, that 2019 season I mentioned where he had 1,400 yards, he had yeah. six touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's crazy. It makes no sense. But they they would love, I mean, any team, any team it really would is a love shame to have that the Chiefs couldn't figure it out. That's my favorite, though, seeing all these people be like, should the Chiefs trade for yes, Julio Jones? Yes, like, yes. They, they can can't. figure it out, yes. They, like, of course, every team should. <laughs> every single team should be trying to figure out how to trade for Julio Jones. The problem is those teams are trying to figure it out, and they quickly realize, oh, hey, do you got, we got $15 million of cap space lying around anywhere? The answer is no, because it's not just one year. Like, he's owed money. I think he's got three years left on his deal, so uh, I don't know how much of that's guaranteed, but it's not going to happen. And there's too many teams like the Chiefs who can't really afford to mortgage the future to get Julio Jones right now. I thought NFL rules with the cap, though, where like if you if you trade for a player with guaranteed money, the team trading him away takes on the guaranteed money, which is why the Falcons, if they trade him away, would take on the $7 million yeah. in dead cap, and the other team would just pay the other $15 million in salary, which would basically mean there would be no guarantees left on the contract. So in theory, a team like the Chiefs could say, we will take on Julio Jones with the intention of trading him again next offseason, and we won't have to pay any dead cap on it. Yeah, maybe that is the case. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, like you said, that's the reason why. But if if you get Julio Jones and he balls out and you win a Super Bowl, you're not going to want to trade him at that point either. No, just the mere the mere idea of of trading for Julio Jones, you're going to look at it and say we're going to keep this guy forever. But that's not the way it works. And the injury concerns are real. I mean, the injury concerns are real because he's dealt with a ton of stuff, mainly his foot, uh, his hamstring, which was basically the the reason why he was out all of last year. But it sounds like he's going to get dealt. I don't know how soon, and we don't know where, but it seems at this point like the Falcons, who are dead set on doing it, even though they don't really know what mode they're in, are they in rebuild? Are they in go-for-it mode? Well, if you're trading one of your best players, it's really hard to convince anybody that you're going for it, but you're also going to be paying Matt Ryan like $50 million coming up next year. So you figured that one out. All right, he's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Shark Sports Talk. Got some breaking news for you. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 
20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0. I have been blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, and details on the 4.0 are next level. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, haven't done one of these in a while. And this morning I was struck with inspiration. And with that inspiration came a lot of energy. And I just felt like I had to do this. You ever feel so moved by and overcome with emotion that nothing can stop you from accomplishing the task that that is all of a sudden overtaking your body? That's what I felt today. So in another edition of the most self-explanatory segment in the history of Sports Talk Radio, Let's Rank Stuff, I am going to provide to you my five best and five worst types of lines. This sounds incredibly stupid, so uh, maybe it's right up our alley. You say that now. Let's uh, let's let's put a bow on that and then come back to it. We'll circle back to that thought at the end and see if you still think it's stupid. Okay, let's start with the five worst types of lines. Number five. Free throw lines. Free throws are the most boring part of a basketball game aside from replay review. Nobody likes to see games become free throw fresh. Free, free, free throw fests down the stretch. Therefore, free throw lines, fifth worst type of line. So I'm a little confused here. What is the ranking? Are we ranking the lines or are we ranking what it encompasses? Because Well, what does that line represent? The line represents that that's going to be used. Maybe it doesn't represent anything. Maybe it's just a line. Hey, don't cross this front line if you're shooting free throws. I think you know? the line should be removed altogether. No so more free throws. you can just take like a layup? Yeah, no more free throws. Free throws? No, oh, no, free no throws free throws. Yeah. So what happens if you foul somebody to, to on a pack, shot? Take the ball out of bounds. So hypothetically, you could just foul somebody forever. Yeah, but then, you know, we'll uh, eventually we'll just remove fouls from the equation as well. But first, oh, okay. so first just, we do away with the free throw line. It's just line. UFC with a ball. Yeah, you don't think that uh, more okay. physical style of play would maybe bring about a new fan base? Number four. Number four, cocaine lines. Okay. Cocaine is incredibly terrible for you. It's illegal. I was illegal. curious if you were going to go here with this. It's illegal. First off, let's start there. You think breaking the law is cool? Mm. Do you think doing drugs are cool? You think it makes you cool to do drugs? Well, then why were you doing... Never mind. Cocaine line, and cocaine's like a dangerous drug, too. It can kill you. You do too much of it, overdose, die. That's not cool at all. Okay, but what about that Dolphins former assistant coach? A Chris Forrester. I believe he is now with the 49ers. I think so, so yeah. But he wasn't even really doing lines. Like, he was just doing, oh, one little pebble there. Miss how high we used to get together. Chris Forrester, not cool. Cocaine, not good. Fourth worst type of line. Number three. Number three, sidelines. Ask any athlete. You want to be on the field of play or you want to be sitting on the sidelines holding the clipboard? See, again, I think this is a difference between what the line means versus what the line is. 
the line mm-hmm. is not like you can be on the sideline yeah. and come back into the game. You can be Patrick Holmes. You're not on the field when they're on defense. Everybody wants to be on the in the game, not on the sideline. So if you're on the sideline, you're just thinking on all, the sidelines. That's all, a metaphor. All you're thinking about while you're on the sidelines is this sucks. The sideline itself is very necessary. It should be good because if not for having a sideline, there would be no parameters to the field. Yeah, but what does it represent? It represents that you're not good enough. This is getting way too non-literal. You don't like to be good enough. You you want to be better. You want to be on the field to play. Sidelines third worst. Number two. Number two, fine lines. Fine lines are tough. You know when they we always say it's a, it's a fine line to walk between this and that. Usually that's not a good thing because people have a hard time walking that fine line. Therefore, fine line, second worst type of line. I'm just confused. This feels like a whole metaphor. This whole entire Let's Rank stuff. It is. Four? I haven't decided yet. Oh, okay. And the very worst type of Number line. One. The worst line is a single file line. Single file line. You know what single file lines often turn into? Long lines, which is also a very bad type of line. Whenever they say, okay, get into single file. Isn't that the worst? What does a non-single file line look like, though? That's like just going into Like going into like a, a sporting event or a concert. Just Let's just open the gates and let's <laughs> everybody just let run everybody in file in. Yeah, exactly. So nature's version of a line. Is yeah, they don't make cows. They don't make cows form uh-huh. a single file line when they're entering a pasture, do they? Don't you ever think that maybe, maybe, they, be more organized. maybe they've got it figured out? Okay, we got the bad lines out of the way now let's get to the five best lines number five number five three point lines sort of the the uh the accomplished older brother of the free throw line the free throw line is small it's boring it slows the game down meanwhile the three point line brings about excitement did you watch the lakers yeah Win that game last night, LeBron James. It was a four-point line. LeBron James hits a shot from like 33 feet away. If that was a two-point shot, not nearly as exciting. It's a three-point shot. No, all people of a would sudden, be like, "You're stupid it. if you took that shot and there was no three-point." Think line. about the guy on the other yeah. side, Steph Curry. Had a remarkable season. Why? Because he's the best three-point shooter. If Steph Curry were making layups all game, we wouldn't care. But the three-point line brings excitement to the game of basketball. That's why it's the fifth best line. Do you think if Bill Self could get rid of the three-point line, he would? I don't think he's that old school. Number four. Number four, traffic lines. I don't mean like you're in like a traffic jam. I mean the lines that are painted on the street that let you know, hey, this is a, a one-way road. Hey, this is a this is a two-lane road, and there's traffic going both directions. What's your favorite traffic line? I'm I'm impartial to the white dotted line, mm. but I love a good double yellow line as well. I like the left-hand turns. Uh, not uh, signal, but mm-hmm. whatever, the little turn pocket. Yeah, you know what else is good is the the dashed with the solid line that says you're free to pass on this side of the road. Yeah. But be no, careful. You know what? I, th- I think for me it's honestly any turn pocket because if you're if you're diverting traffic away from people going straight instead of having to wait behind uh, somebody, yeah, that's the worst. You know what? I think you're probably right. I probably should have given that one more credit. But traffic lines, important for what we do every day, so they're number four. Number three. Number three, timelines. I love a good timeline. Hey, this is where this guy was five years ago. This is what happened two years later. This is where he's at now. I love that during sporting events when they say, here's the timeline. Or, you know, in a very functional way, if you're like, hey, let's map out, let's put out a timeline for what we want to accomplish here over the next 
couple of months or over the next couple of years. Timelines can be informative. They can be entertaining. Very useful. What about scientific? Different timeline where oh. you have three eyeballs. What know? about a timeline like uh, the dinosaur timeline? I love prehistoric timelines. Hey, you know, 20 million years ago, this is when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth. And then a few million years after that, cavemen came about. And now here we are, human beings. Timelines, number three. Number two. Number two, goal lines. Don't you love it? First and goal. Second and goal. Third and goal. Dare I say, fourth and goal. A goal line stand. Everything is more intense when you're at the goal line. Goal lines are the second best type of line. Yeah, I mean, that is the, like, the goal is to get to that line, hey, right? Pun yeah. intended. No. And think about it. I mean, how, how thick is it? Do we even know how thick a goal line is? There's that much distance separating you from being some schmuck who couldn't get it into, into the end zone and, you know, tasting the sweet nectar of the end zone to, to steal a line from, from Mitch Holtis. So goal lines, unbelievable. Number two line. Number one. But the number one line of all lines and to end today's Let's Rank stuff is punchlines. Punchlines are the best part of every joke. Now, you don't want to be the punchline. You don't want the punchline to be about you. Imagine going and watching a stand-up comedian and they're telling this long story and you don't know where it's going, then boom, they deliver the punchline. You're laughing. I'm laughing. We're having a good time. All of a sudden, it makes sense. Punchlines are funny. They're necessary. And if you deliver a good punchline and then you make everybody else start laughing, then imagine how good you're going to feel. Punchlines, number one line. Okay, I think that's good. It makes everybody happy. I think with this list, you really blurred the lines. Wow. Yeah. Robin Thicke. Mm. Should have... Honorable mm. mention. No. You don't like that song? Uh, Music video was pretty cool. did kind of canceled? Was it a little rapey? Yeah. Yeah. The music video was cool. A lot of scantily clad women. That's female empowerment. And that's Let's Rank Stuff. And this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk.